Would you turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to take up the topic of human sexuality, a much needed message. It was for the first century Corinthians. Oh, and how needed it is for us here in 21st century America. We need this message today. You and I have been told a lot of things in the culture regarding sex. We have been told this, that anything goes and everything goes between two consenting adults. You've heard that. I've heard that. We've been told in the culture that there are no boundaries. Nothing can be regarded as sinful if a person has certain feelings and desires. We've been told in the culture, really, the only thing that is sin is to regard, to regard some behaviors as sinful. If you begin to think some things are sinful and some things not, then you are sinning in the eyes of the culture. And we've heard this, that real health Real freedom is found in following after your lusts. Whatever your lusts are, whatever they drive you to do, if you're really going to be a healthy person and free, follow after them. But our text today from God's Word is going to obliterate all of that false thinking. And so we're going to take it on together now. Picking up in verse 9, we're going to go through verse 20. Here's what I know. It's a lengthy passage, but I don't think you're going to be distracted during this passage. This is very relevant, very pointed, very helpful. Let's take it on together. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now down to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So two disclaimers as we begin this morning. First of all, I am aware of the younger ones among us. So my goal is to preach this message in a PG-rated way, a PG-13 rated way, but I'm aware of the younger ones in the room. But also, I want to begin by talking about grace. And we're going to end this message talking about grace. We're going to be talking about sexual sin, and I recognize this is an area where there's particular pain, there's particular shame and regret, and so many. And so I want you to hear grace on the front end. This, is, this whole passage is about grace, and so I want you to hear that. I want you to notice even how I've titled the sermon. I really spent a lot of time thinking, what do I call this? Knowing on the back of the screen behind me, you'd be staring at some words while I'm talking. I wanted you staring at these words coming from our text. The words cleansed, the words sanctified, and the words justified coming from our text. So good news today. 
However, the main point here is the first point, and that's this. Sexual sin is serious. Sexual sin is serious. Notice here Paul gives what we call a vice list here. And he's letting you know that those who practice these types of sins with no repentance, they're just living this lifestyle, they're indicating by these behaviors that they are among the unrighteous. These are the people who live this way with no remorse, no regret. This is their life. These are people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, these people are living with characteristics distinctive of another kingdom. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because there are different qualities that, that come with those who have been redeemed. So you can't get more serious than this when really eternal life is brought into view in light of these things. Now, Jesus spoke the same way about how we can look at a life and see what that person is. For instance, Jesus talked about you'll, you'll judge a tree by its fruit. And that's essentially what this vice list does. It's not that if you can somehow perform better than this list, you'll earn your way to heaven. That's not the point here. The point is, these are symptoms of a person who's not yet met Jesus. This is a life we would expect to see in an unbeliever, not in a believer. Again, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then this representative list of characteristics of the unrighteous. Here we go again. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now you probably noticed, and I hope you did, these sins here listed are not just sexual sins. So there's application here. You, you might hear this message today and you might be one of the rare ones and you go, you know, I, I have no temptations whatsoever in the realm of morality. Well, okay, that's great. But there are other things for you here because are you an idolater? Are you greedy? Are you, is your life driven by greed? Are you a reviler? You think, What's a reviler? Somebody who's a slanderer. You just tear into other people. You're a gossip. There's application for you here because those also are the marks of an unbeliever. That's among the unrighteous. But decidedly, Paul is focusing on sexual sins here, as we see with this list, but then how he unfolds this in the verses that go through this. So let's look at these sexual sins in particular here. And first of all, we see the words here in the English Standard Version, sexually immoral. The Greek word underneath that is pornos. And that word and its related words in the Greek language can refer to all of the types of sexual sins. But that word sometimes is brought over into English as fornication or fornicators. So that would be a person who's not married, but they're engaged in a sexual relationship with somebody. That's always been sinful. That's still sinful, by the way. And so to be sexually immoral, to be promiscuous, that's the idea there. But then also we have another word here that deals with the sexual realm and it's adulterers. The Greek word here is moikos, but we know what that is. We, we see that throughout the scriptures. We see it famously in the Ten Commandments. This is somebody, at least in a relationship, a sexual relationship, where at least one of them is married to somebody else. And yet they're in this relationship that's always been sinful, that is still sinful. Then we have this phrase that says, men who practice homosexuality. Now, in the Greek language, there are two very descriptive words beneath that that's brought over in the ESV very accurately as men who practice homosexuality. So the first Greek word there is malakoi, malakoi. And that word literally means soft. Some translations through the years have brought that over as effeminate. And that's a bit misleading because some have then read that thought, well, if the guy's not as burly, if he's not as manly as somebody else, so somehow that's a sin. That's, that's not the issue here. This is about a behavior. 
So we know in the first century in the Roman Empire, there were young men who would dress up like women in order to engage in sexual acts with other men. And so this would be a, this would be a malakoi, the, the ones who would do that. So basically, this is the passive participant in a male homosexual act, a very descriptive word, malakoi. But then there's another word Paul uses here, and it's a compound word. It's arsenokoites. And this word has a compound word. Arsen has to do with male, and then koites has to do with the sexual act. It's a very, very descriptive word, male homosexual sex. And so he's just describing to you the active and passive participants in that act, and he calls it sinful. Those who practice this, these are among the unrighteous. So the question comes sometimes in the culture, has God spoken to that issue of sexual sin at all? Is anything out of bounds? And has he spoken to homosexuality? He has spoken quite clearly in his word. There's no ambiguity in the scripture on that issue. And so we can look in the old covenant, very clearly spoken to. Well, some will say, well, that's just old covenant. But here we are in the new covenant. Here we are in 1 Corinthians 6, very, very clear. But let me give you one other example since we're here, Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, I'm going to read that to you, but I want you to notice how these, these desires are regarded as dishonorable passions. But that's true of all of our sins, right? So if you had a desire to steal, you wouldn't excuse that. You'd say, well, that's a dishonorable passion. I need to rebuke that in myself or whatever it is. But, but homosexual thoughts, they're, they're like all of our other temptations. This is considered a dishonorable passion. We, we don't give in to it. It's also regarded as something contrary to nature, nature, but I want you to hear it in God's word here. This is Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I just want you to see with me here that sexual sin is serious. It's called out very clearly in the scripture here in places like this vice list, what God's telling you is, is that there are some things sexually that are clearly out of bounds. Now let's remind ourselves, not all sex is sinful. We don't want to be misunderstood. Like, wow, those Christians, they're really against this. No, God is the one who designed this. Sex was his idea. He's the giver of this good gift. And so there is one relationship that he designed for the expression of this gift with another person. That is an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And we see this as far back as the book of Genesis, right? In the garden, God created the woman out of the side of the man. First surgery, first wedding, all there at one, presented them to each other. And we're told that it was good because everything was good in the creation before the fall. So nothing wrong with this gift. In fact, remember in the text of Genesis, we were told that they were naked and they were unashamed and they should not have been ashamed. They are a married couple, a good gift. But have you seen with me, though, that there are clear, unmistakable boundaries for the use of that great gift? To transgress those boundaries has always been and always will be sin. It's, it's an act of rebellion against what God has given us so clearly in his word. One of the helpful illustrations about that, how could something be a good gift and yet be so damaging if misused. And I love the analogy people have used through the years about how we could look at these desires that we have from God, that they are, are powerful and, and, and beautiful and good like a river. So you have a powerful river going down. Most of us like to go see a river like that. That's just nice. We love that nature. But when that river spills over its banks, that power goes outside the banks. We have great devastation. It's a flood. 
And likewise, if we don't possess these desires well, we can do a lot of damage to ourselves. We can do a lot of damage to the other person. We can do damage to our relationship with our Father. So again, hear how serious this is for the person who's not repenting, not fighting against these temptations, so going headlong into it. They're showing that they are among the unrighteous, have not been saved. And because of that, because they don't know Jesus, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I love here how Paul tells us this, and it's so relevant to us. He says in this topic, don't be deceived. Most people you know in our culture right now have been deceived on this topic and more every day being deceived here. So let's apply that together. Do not be deceived here. First of all, don't be deceived by your own flesh and your own feelings. This is how most people decide what's true and what's false. They'll, they'll think about, well, what do I feel like doing? What's my heart telling me? What are my desires telling me? And therefore, based on what I want to do, I'll declare that good and other things would be bad. Listen, that would be deceiving yourself if you make your feelings the authority here rather than the word of God. Don't be deceived by your feelings, by your own flesh. Secondly, don't be deceived by your friends and family. Many people will change their theology. Many people will change their morality based on, well, I know somebody. I know a very kind person that I love dearly who's, who, who's engaged in these behaviors. And therefore, because I love them, I have a hard time thinking that they're wrong. So therefore, I'm going to change my views. I see what God says here, but that they can't be that wrong. It can't be that bad. They're so sweet. Then you'll change your theology. The scripture says, do not be deceived, not even by your friends, not even by your family. Do not be, be, not, do not be deceived by false teachers. And it's very easy in our day to find somebody who calls themselves reverend or pastor or doctor, and they'll stand behind the pulpit. They won't be using the Bible. If they do, they're going to be abusing the Bible, but they're going to tell you what you see there is not what you see there in the text. They're going to try to twist the scriptures, ignore the scriptures. And so don't be deceived by somebody who is in the clergy telling you something other than what God is clearly telling you in the word of God. It's on you not to be deceived. But here's another area. Don't be deceived by your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're going to see this passage and you I, I do. It's unmistakable what God's calling me to. This is very difficult. I possess all these desires. I have this boyfriend, girlfriend. And so don't, don't let them talk you into something that you know that you should not do. So, so really, this is a lordship issue like every other area of your life. And in this case, you have to ask yourself, are my appetites and desires Lord or is Jesus Lord in my life? It's an issue of authority. Are my desires the authority for my life? Whatever my desires tell me, that's what I must do. Or is the word of God your authority where you, you submit your passions to the word of God? I get it. There's a clash here. Things that you may want to do and then what God's word says, and there's a timing to when you can fulfill these things in the context of marriage, God's word has to be the authority. So we're just, we're just seeing first that sexual sin is serious. Secondly, Notice Paul makes the point that sex is more than biology. Sex is more than biology. And here in verse 12, Paul pulls up some of the Corinthian slogans, and then he gives the counter to those slogans. So here's one of the Corinthian slogans. All things are lawful for me. That was their words. All things are lawful for me. Paul knew what they were saying, so he quotes them back, and he counters with this, but not all things are helpful. He quotes that one again, all things are lawful for me. And Paul counters, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's another one of their slogans. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. So they are declaring their liberty in Christ. They're essentially saying this, because of grace, we can do anything we feel like doing. 
because everything's lawful for us. And Paul rebuts that. But then notice this one again. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food. So they're saying this, when it comes to our sexuality, they're saying it's just biology. It's just biology. Just like when I get hungry, I go for food. This is just another appetite and it can't be wrong to go ahead and feed that appetite any way that I want. But notice Paul's corrective to that in verse 13. He continues, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So the point Paul's making here is no, that's not correct. This is just another appetite for you to feed any way you want, anytime you want. That no, this is so much more. Your body is not meant for sexual sin. Your body is for the Lord. Notice here, Paul makes the point that your body and soul are connected. Part of the Corinthian problem was, you know, that's just my body. My soul loves the Lord. I, I can worship him and be in him, but it really doesn't matter what I do with this lowly body. He said, no, you're, you're unified together. That body is for the Lord. Your body and soul are connected and you're connected to your savior. Notice that point. You're in union with Christ. How unthinkable to be in union with Christ and then engage in an immoral relationship. Some of those Corinthian men were thinking that, you know, we can, we can love Jesus, but we have these desires and it's just like eating. We can go see a prostitute, take care of that and get on with serving the Lord. You can't do that. That's an unthinkable idea. You are in union with Christ. Paul, one of his favorite phrases, which you'll see throughout his letters, is to be in Christ. And Christ is in you. And so anything you do with this body is involving Christ. It's an unthinkable thing that you and I would be immoral with that understanding. So our bodies are more spiritual than we've realized. And it would be an egregious sin against Christ to take him into an immoral relationship. Notice verse 18 again. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Just another way of saying sexual sin, it's serious. And sex is more than mere biology. This is very spiritual. And then this, your body has a higher, even eternal purpose. Your body has a higher, even eternal purpose. Back to verse 19. Are you, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Did you catch that? That your body, what is it? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase we saw first back in chapter 3, verse 16, when he spoke to the church. Not, not a church building. The Corinthians didn't have a church building. But the people gathered, the people of God he said to them, you plural, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, chapter three. But chapter six, he now applies that same thinking. Not only are you that as the people of God, but individually, what is your body? Your body, believer, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing truth. Now, the people in Corinth, even coming from a pagan background, they knew about temples. And we've talked about this several times already in this series. In Corinth, famously, there was a temple to Aphrodite. This goddess essentially of lust. And so they were familiar with that. And that's the context where the Corinthians lived. All that pagan immorality that would have been a part of so many of their backgrounds. And so he says, you know, you're not that type of temple. 
Here, here you are. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been set apart to God. God has saved a people for himself out of all of that pagan immorality. Now you're God's people. But let's, let's hover on this truth for a moment. Do you know that about yourself, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So who is, who is living in you? God is living in you, believer. And he is holy, as we sang about early, earlier, and he dwells in you. When did that happen? Well, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. He was the one already opening your eyes and drawing you to Christ, but took up residence in you. Think, well, why would God want to live inside of me? Because you need him to. He's doing a lot of things in you on a daily basis. One of the things, aren't you glad he's a great comforter to you? We go through so many challenges and struggles in this life. Aren't you glad for his comfort at times, giving us a peace that passes understanding? He's a comforter in you, but he's also guiding you. We should be very grateful for this. He's empowering us, the awesome power of God, the the God himself, God, the Holy Spirit, he indwells in you to enable you to live this life that we would say in many ways is impossible on our own. He's empowering you and he's also in you sanctifying you, meaning he is conforming you more and more to the image of Christ in the way you think, the way you act, the way you react to Holy Spirit is at work in you. But you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there never could be an occasion when it would be okay for you to be in a promiscuous relationship with somebody else. So let's ask yourself this morning, what type of temple are you? Maybe this morning you're hearing this message and you're looking at your life and you think, you know, I'm really not living like a temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, my life's more like a temple to Aphrodite, a temple to lust. The things I'm letting in my mind, the things I'm dwelling on, the things I'm chasing, the relationships I'm in, man, I'm not, I'm not living up to who I am in Christ. Listen, repent of that. There is mercy, there is grace that you can leave that behind. Be who you are if you call yourself a believer. Your faith is in Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But notice also he says your body has been purchased and it's been redeemed by Christ. Verse 19 again. He says you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So see this, your body is no longer your body. It's wrong thinking to think, this is my body, I can do with it whatever I want. No, that, that does, doesn't work. First of all, you were created by God. This body is a gift to you from God who made it. But Jesus has died for you to redeem you, even your body, including your body. And you belong to him. You are his temple and therefore glorify God with that body. So in our text, there are three commands there. A lot of verses, a lot of great theology of the body that we're going to apply now. But there are three commands that help us know what to do with this. The first command is verse 9, which we've already addressed. Do not be deceived. And so this is why this is in the word of God, that you and I could hear the, the contrary teaching of the culture, the, the dogma of the culture, and go, you know, I'm, I'm not going along with that. It's very persuasive. It's incessant. It's so demanding. But nevertheless, I will not go along. I will not be deceived. But also the second command here, verse 18, flee immorality. In light of all this teaching and this theology of the body and how special the body is now, temple of the Holy Spirit, then, then I must flee immorality. But here's the other application in terms of command. That's verse 20. Glorify God with your body. I think of it this way, really with every temptation, we're to be playing offense and defense. When you're up against some temptation that's, that's tough for you, it's not just living a life like I got to stay away from that. I got to stay away from that. It includes that strategies to stay away from whatever that sin is, but it's also playing offense. 
I need to be pursuing the right things at the same time. In fact, this is how Paul talked to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who called on the Lord from a pure heart. So yes, I'm turning away. I'm, I'm running from some things, but I'm running toward some things in Christ. It's both going on simultaneously in our lives. But why that word flee? Why would Paul call out this temptation, sexual sins, and why would he tell us to flee from those? It's because these temptations are typically very powerful in our lives. Sometimes in my life, I will rank temptations. And uh, there's like a scale of zero to 10. Zero means not tempted at all. So like, like robbing a bank. It doesn't even enter my mind. Apparently it does enter my mind. So, so it's there, you know, I'm, I'm aware of it. <laughs> For me to use it as an illustration. But when I walk into a bank, those rare times I need to go in a bank, it really doesn't enter my mind. You know, I could really knock this place off. You know, here's how I'd get away. Just not there. Now, apparently some people would say that's a level 10 temptation because there are bank robbers in the world. And no judgment there. Listen, if you got a temptation to rob a bank, don't do it. You know, repent of that. Right? Just don't give in to that. You didn't choose that temptation. Just don't do it. Well, but some things in our lives, we go, no, that, that's like a two. That's a, that's a level two. That's, I can handle that, you know, normal, in, in the Lord, walk with Jesus. That's not really a great risk to me, but I'm aware. That's, a, that's like a two. But some of them register higher on that scale. And, and sexual temptations oftentimes are in that higher, higher level. Sometimes not. Sometimes like, no, I think I got that all in check in my life. And then out of nowhere, wait a minute, where, why is that an eight right now? And so this is strong. This is, this is an area why he says, with this area of life, because this can be so tempting and such a powerful force that you could fall easily, don't try to show how strong you are. This isn't a time where I'm going to show how spiritual I am. I can get right up to the edge. Other people have to be careful. I don't need to be careful. I'm going right up to the line. It's not the wisdom of Scripture. Scripture says, flee from that. Do not overestimate yourself. Run from it. Now, what does it look like to flee from sexual sin? This is a practical word for those in first century Corinth with all of its promiscuity there. Good goodness, we live in a time that's, I don't know, worse potentially. Certainly there are more, more tools that the evil one has to pump this toward us. A great word for us. Let's, let's think about how we might apply this. First of all, to flee sexual immorality involves changing your mind about your body. And that's why Paul taught extensively about this theology of the body. These truths again, that your body matters spiritually that your body is a temple, that your body belongs to the Lord, that even this body is going to be raised up on the last day. It's not disposable. It's not inconsequential. This body itself, when Jesus comes, will be, will be brought to life again, reconstituted, glorified better than ever. This body matters. And sexual sin harms you. It harms the other person, as we talked about. So to understand that, change your mind about your body. But then practically, it means you're going to have to change some relationships. If you discover this morning or you see clearly, oh, oh I'm, in a, I'm in a relationship I should not be in, then fleeing from that means you have to disentangle yourself from that relationship. First of all, remember, your primary relationship, if you're a believer, is with Jesus. You are in union with Jesus. You can't separate him out. You can't compartmentalize Jesus. You're in a relationship with him. And so that has a bearing on you think everybody else in my life has to fit in to Jesus and me and my walk with him and the church family I'm a part of. Everything else has to fit into that. That also reminds us that we can't be yoked together with unbelievers. So we're, we're committed to, Lord, my body's yours. I have to be on guard against sexual sin. I'm fleeing from that. Then we can't be dating or entering into marriage with an unbeliever. 
In, in 2 Corinthians 6, we're talking about don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Think about how impractical that would be. You want to be holy. You recognize my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That person you're dating, their body is not a temple of the Holy Spirit. They got entirely different goals for their body than what you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. But then we practically just talk about how do I flee from this? If you find yourself, you're already in a relationship and you're crossing lines, you have to repent of that. You can't keep living like that. An unbeliever would be unapologetic, unashamed. This is just what we do. But a genuine believer is troubled when they falter and they're like, okay, I cannot keep going in that direction. Lord, I need, I need to move in a different direction. So my favorite type of counseling as a pastor, of course, is premarital counseling. When there's a couple planning to get married and, and I get to meet with them, typically we have three sessions where we talk about different parts about marriage, you know, from communication to finances, that kind of stuff. But we talk about this area of life as well. It's a big part of marriage. And so I remind the couples during, during one of those sessions is that right now as an unmarried couple, you're engaged, but right now as it comes to sex, you're sitting at a red light. Can't, you can't do this yet. You're, you're waiting. Wedding night, green light. I think it's important as a pastor to tell them that too, because I think some people can be kind of hung up about it. Like, I think this is always bad. I think if I were really a Christian, I wouldn't want this at all. Like, no, no, it, this is a gift of God. Right now, red light, wedding night, green light this is a good gift of God. But, but what, a, what a challenge, right? A couple, they're in love with each other. They're certainly attracted to each other. And yet we're, we're supposed to wait. Absolutely supposed to wait. That, that's always been the case. And so I, I encourage people who are dating to be very guarded, be careful while you're dating. Dating can be wonderful, but, but be, be careful. And so my advice is very practically, as you flee immorality, knowing these temptations are powerful, date in public places. So I'll go ahead and endorse Panera again. So uh, Panera is a great place to go meet somebody, you know, a lot of other people around, enjoy yourself or McDonald's. If your budget's not quite there, just go to McDonald's. If you can find a good movie, go to a movie, walk in a park, just don't go alone back to each other's place. That is so much danger. Don't think, no, but, but we're Christians. We're stronger than that. These are powerful temptations, and you don't want to do that, especially if you love this person. Don't, don't put yourself in that situation. Years ago on the mission field, uh, one of our leaders was giving advice to the missionaries, especially the single ones, like, hey, look, don't go to each other's apartments of the opposite sex alone. Looks bad to the community. They, they're assuming things that you're doing in there, but also you may be putting yourself in a situation of temptation. One of the young missionaries was offended and he said, you're treating us like we're 16. And our regional leader responded, when it comes to these matters, we're all 16. <laughs> Don't overestimate yourself. Be, be careful here. Again, we're told to flee sexual immorality. Well, and this also then comes to an immorality of the mind. Remember, Jesus, your Savior, warned us against lust. You need to hear this as well. I need to hear this as well. Matthew 5, 27 and following. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So we're not just guarding ourselves from the actions of immorality, but Jesus said, guard that heart. Guard your mind, guard your eyes. And so just very practically, you want to walk this walk like Jesus has called us to here in the word. You got to do it in the power of the spirit. But I think it means being very careful about what you're listening to. 
So again, I won't prescribe what songs you listen to, but, but if you are listening to songs that are enticing you towards sexual sin, that's minimizing it, promoting sexual sin, promiscuity, that doesn't make any sense why you would put that into your head. You're, you're wanting to walk a very different walk in the culture. Like, I'm going to find a different artist. I'm going to find something other than that. I can't have that. And it's not helpful to winning, especially in this area. Like, I'm supposed to be fleeing immorality. Same thing for the things you watch. You know, if you're watching things that kind of fan that flame, so here you are, maybe you've got this at a lower end of the temptation scale most days, but you could be watching things that throw that up into the level 10. You're seeing things you shouldn't. There's things that are streaming. You say, well, it's, it's not pornography. It doesn't have to be meeting that exact definition, but nudity and promiscuity promoted in your home, uh, that can't be helpful to you fleeing immorality and avoiding lust. And so we have to make some practical moves here. So this means parental controls on some things for you. That means internet filters with a friend, with a password. Maybe it means deleting some things. Again, the Holy Spirit can, could apply this for you in your circumstances. You just think through, what does it look like for me to flee from sexual sin, including lust? Let me just ask you this question by way of illustration. If tonight somebody were to break into our church facility and they thought to themselves, that screen would be awesome to watch some of the stuff I usually watch. And so they broke into our sound booth, got the computer hooked up, downloaded some really inappropriate things so that they could enjoy our big screen to watch things that we would say, whew, that's, that's really bad. What would you think about that if we found out about it? We'd all be upset, we'd be alarmed, but can I remind you something more serious is happening if you and I were to feed ourselves on inappropriate images ourselves, why? This building's not really a temple. This is a church facility. We've devoted it to the Lord. It's wonderful. But it is more serious when one of us who is a temple of the Holy Spirit would entertain ourselves with things that are ungodly. Then we, we should not give ourselves a pass on that. At least it's not in church. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we face those temptations, and it's everywhere, just to click away, Netflix, every place, it's everywhere. We just have to make choices, not, not that one. I know everybody's talking about that one. I can't watch that one. That would not be good for my soul. That would not be good for my mind and my heart. So we're just talking about fleeing sexual immorality. So flee from, let's close this way. Now we want to remember, let's flee to. We're fleeing from sin and everything else that would harm us and, and enslave us, but let's flee to Jesus. And we began talking about grace. What a perfect Sunday for this. We, we talked about the bread and the cup that Jesus gave his body and blood on the cross to atone for our sins. And as we said at the very beginning, even our sexual sins. And so let me, let me urge you this morning, bring your shame Bring your disappointments, bring your regrets, run to Jesus with those today. Jesus will forgive you. Listen, it's his idea to forgive you. It wasn't our idea, it's his idea. You think, would he, would he really forgive me? It's his idea. He left heaven to come and die for your sins. He lived perfectly, never sinned once, so that he give his perfect blood to cover all of your sins, all of my sins. And he was raised from the dead. You say, but my sins are so, so terrible. They are. My sins are terrible. And the Lord came to forgive us, to cleanse us here. In fact, that's what our text, I want us to close with this. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. He gives that vice list and he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So Jesus came for that purpose. Would he forgive you? Yes, he would forgive you, but you must come humbly. No longer justifying, no longer proud of these things, but you come like every other sinner. I, I know I have sinned. Confess means to agree with him, not disagree with him. Lord, I see I've been living a certain way. You've told me there's something 
different that you had for me. I've been transgressing. I admit it. Listen, if you already, don't already know this verse, you need this one. 1 John 1, 9. This is especially true for the believer who said, but I knew better. I'm already a Christian. Could he forgive me after I failed in this area? Yes. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess. Just agree. Lord, I've been wrong. I need your forgiveness. Would you restore me? He'll do it. I don't have time to read it this morning, but would you read this afternoon? Psalm 51. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, he models for you how to cry out to God for forgiveness. David, even in the old covenant, received the Lord's forgiveness. How much more you who know Jesus Christ here in the new covenant. So believer, there's forgiveness available and there's freedom available. So today, would you trust in the Lord? If you're a believer, would you yield to the Holy Spirit, the God himself living inside of you to give you the power to walk away from very strong temptation and sin in your life? And then one other word of application here. Would you also seek help from somebody else? Maybe you say, I've tried and tried, but I keep falling back into these familiar sins. Listen, God also gave you a body around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who aren't here to condemn you. But we, you could be a man in the church think, I'm really struggling. I, I need to take this out of the darkness into the light. I need somebody to help me. We'd, we'd love to help you with that, not to condemn you. So you could come to any one of our pastors this week and say, could you, could you meet with me? Could we talk about these things? You could come to any of our deacons. You could talk to just another brother in the church. You could just uh, ask for help. And ladies, you could do the same thing. You reach out to somebody, your life group leader, another godly woman in the church. Could you help me? I don't like how my thought life is. There's this guy at work that I'm starting to have feelings for. I don't want to walk that way. You can ask for help. That's what we're here to do to help one another. Well, let's pray together. Lord, what a, what a needed passage for us. Thank you that you didn't leave us without these words to live in these days. Lord, I, I thank you for what you're doing with these words by your spirit as you're applying this in heart after heart, just as you wish. Lord, we just want to be responsive to you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing. Thank you for what the, the, that you made that possible for us. We just acknowledge we needed a Savior from all of our sins, including these sins. And Lord, you are that Savior. So we worship you. We celebrate you. We adore you. But I pray today, Lord, you'll bring some to yourself who, who've recognized their lostness today. And they recognize that you love them, that you want to forgive them. Lord, I pray that they would come to you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.